bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey everybody, welcome to Dumb Gay Pandemic Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in coronavirus politics, like we're talking about reality TV. And on this week's episode of The Real Housewives of Coronavirus, Julie got full knee replacement surgery and I became a certified stay-at-home caregiver. I wonder if I qualify for a raise under JoJo and Kiki's new jobs plan. (laughs) You certainly deserve it. Being that you're not making any money. Caregivers are getting a raise, supposedly, under this plan. Like, a pretty yeah. good one. But that plan hasn't passed. So they didn't just get that raise for COVID. Right? They, right. they don't get that unless the infrastructure... It, or did they? I, it's, it's in the bill, isn't it? But in it's the, not in the COVID bill. It's in the infrastructure bill? I'm not sure. Mm. I can't... It seems like it would be in the COVID bill, being that... It does seem like that. That's something we should probably know. But um, if it... Whichever bill it's in... I'm quite sure I could get one at this point. (laughs) I know I could get the vaccine if I just roll up. I mean, everyone can get the vaccine now, so that's fine. But if only you had gotten the surgery a month ago, I could have rolled up and said, "Um, I'm a home caregiver. You're an essential. Yeah, I'm an an essential frontline nurse Uh. (laughs) during the pandemic. So we talked about the whole story. It was a saga. It's a continuing saga. Um, And we still have to do part two of that Patreon. Yes. But Uh, I will mm -hmm. say, um, thanks to the government crackdown, On the opioid epidemic, (laughs) Julie spent the first 24 hours after her knee replacement surgery with no pain meds at all. None. None. (laughs) So it might not sound like a fun story, but we got pretty fucked up when we told it. So there's that. (laughs) That's true. I mean, she didn't have any pain meds, but I can say that I quickly got on Postmates and ordered a full (laughs) bottle of vodka because there was there was no mentally dealing with that. Um, and I've definitely, um, caught up since then. Yeah. And made sure to, uh, make up for that time, which is why I sound like this. Mm-hmm. And also why, uh, shit, the second Patre- Patreon is late. Um, she's done all the painkillers she could get her hands on at this <laughs> point, And thank God. And she deserves it. But she spent that night like a warrior. And I just wanted to... Um, give a shout out to Mike Valdez and Andres and their candle company. It's called Wick Effects, as you know, Mamau. Mm-hmm. Now, we called everyone in our <laughs> entire phones, mm-hmm. both of our phones, <laughs> and not just the drug dealers we know. I mean, right. we were calling friends. Mm-hmm. I got on the phone with my mom. I'm yes. like, come up off that coding cough syrup, Pam. Mm-hmm. Anything we could get. The city's dry. city is dry. We had one gay homo angel we're not going to say his name god forbid we you know implicate him in a felony of any sort <laughs> all right and um i would just be like your honor your honor i don't even think a judge in the world would, that would would get anyone in trouble for that it was it was it was outrageous but anyway he not only 
procured five very weak painkillers from his neighbor. <laughs> yeah. He drove them mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. And when I say I was scrounging through Julie's apartment, I was like, I'm not, I'm definitely not giving them any alcohol. <laughs> and then it was like, you know what? We got to give them the gentleman caller candle mm-hmm. by Mike Valdez and his company Wick Effects. And they were really into it because he brought his neighbor. Right. And they were super excited by his candle. Well, they should be. Yeah. It was kind of like the perfect, perfect thing. I can see. And I bet you I just have a feeling that he's going to be on that website purchasing his own <laughs> candles i mean it had been burned a, a little bit yeah well you we've know. been enjoying those candles yeah it wasn't completely it was you know but they were complete they were fine with it and it was exciting i felt really i was like that was like pretty rewarding i was like oh my god it's like what's that movie with kevin spacey before he was like a full rapist i mean beautiful we, americans no where you like do something again nice you like pass it on oh my god pay it forward yeah it was like paying it forward wow like, you know, because that's it's really it's a it's an artisan candle. Yeah. It's kind of like as one of a kind, really, as getting the painkillers that night. The yes. entire the county of L.A. was dry of painkillers. Mm-hmm. And and we were being homophobia left and right <laughs> yes. from every pharmacy. Yes. yes. And it's just it's through the kindness of friends. I mean, I don't know what people are doing who have. I don't even know other <laughs> surgeries. I mean, the, I had my knee taken out. Yep. And, and, and tossed around a room. And what's in there now? Silver ball, ball bearing, Who knows? a joint. Uh, it's a stainless it could steel be joint. Anything. Yeah. Did they tell Titanium. you, did they say that's going to go off at the airport? Oh God. But little do they know we have what you call it. The traveler thing. TSA. Yeah, t- that's right. I'm not on pain pills, but um, I can't remember that shit. It's been so long. TSA well, pre. So we go through only metal detector, not fucking body scan. Right. I right. think that thing sees like metal plates and That's shit. Gross. All right. I didn't even think of that. Well, yeah, I guess it's going to. Yeah, it'll show up. Yeah. There's like a there's like me and tan mom, me and tan mom, because she has metal plates in her head. In her head. They're going to be like, sir, take your phone out of your pocket. And you're going to be like, oh it's my, my knee. It's my knee. I didn't pull near placement. <laughs> now they're really going to think I'm a. A steroid wrestler from the 80s? Yeah. God, you must have had that knee taken out after you did wrestling. Yeah, that's their conversation in the TSA restroom. Oh, I'm sure when you're going through, though, they'll be like, yeah, I had my elbow, had my shoulder, whatever the fuck people do. My shoulder and my uh, tailbone are actually made of whalebone. Um, I'm trying to keep things very, very um, green and the green new green new bones. <laughs> the green, green new, new deal. Bones, green new deal, green new bones. <laughs> But, of course, with the knee, I had to go full titanium. But the titanium was made out of a Mars-related magneto accident. So it's totally fine. I don't think the regular metal detector detects that. I'm, I'm not sure. But the whole reason we want to go through it is because we don't need some strong-ass X-ray fucking cancerizing us. Literally. People are probably like, God, they got TSA pre so they could sneak contraband through. No. No, we just simply didn't want to go through. You will not cancerize me, <laughs> sir. That's right. You will not cancerize me, sir. Julie's very fucked up, you guys. It's great. My skin. I deserve. I deserve. Not only did I deserve a raise, I deserve a, a, an award for not for not killing ru- me for not running through those painkillers. <laughs> I mean, it's a you good thing been. I'm not in the opioid epidemic. Yeah. Y- you you you've saved the medication for the ones in need. I I so. look at it. It's like in a cartoon when it turns into like a steak. 
when someone's going through the desert, I'm like, oh, Well, I can tell you this. Me. My skin's on fire, <laughs> and I can't stop scratching. <laughs> and that is definitely because of that. My mouth is dry, and I fall asleep while I'm talking. Yeah. So. And then you'll be like, I just haven't gotten any sleep. I'm like, I've watched you take 14 <laughs> naps in the last 20 minutes. So, you know, there is that to be encountered. Well, we're really proud of you. The night without mm-hmm. the the pain meds was the main. I that was pretty impressive i would say that was the night that i can look back on for my life and go yeah you did that at least i mean it's scary to have surgery and some people never will because they're so scared of going under and then the recovery and just mm-hmm. managing the pain and it is i mean it's it's a stressful thing to go through and you know hopefully someone in the biden harris administration recognizes that we both did this <laughs> you know during the pandemic yeah and don't let anyone tell you also just take some ibuprofen. It'll be just take some ibuprofen. I'm <laughs> that's like, that's what all of our are you? Our, our, I don't know what our square drug free oh friends and relatives have said. God, <laughs> Tylenol, man, man, not ibuprofen. Oh, Tylenol. Oh, I could have smoked the Tylenol. There's no, there's not no. enough Tylenol on the planet. No. no, that could have dulled the pain of what this felt like. I was crushing. I was chewing it up just to relax and it didn't work. So someone who's also had now, I couldn't remember this on the Patreon, but Devin Verana, our erotic third, you think, is it back or is it knee or is it both? She's had one. She's had a major thing. I think it might be back. Oh, maybe it's back. Yeah. Do you think it's knee? I don't know. Well, she either way, she's she's been on this journey. She's told us to get like soft those soft shoes that we love are a delight we're in like full-on fucking i don't even have anything and i'm in the orthopedic (laughs) shoes like living i can't even walk to the mailbox Mm -hmm. without putting them on she's so generous we love her so much first of all we were just simply talking about your addiction to um hand sanitizer on the patreon (laughs) which had gotten out of control and i was really Mm -hmm. proud of you because we i i went walked you around and i supervised you and we took all the hand sanitizer out of every nook and cranny in your whole place (laughs) and car Mm -hmm. it filled up a huge bag that i then put in my garage to like donate to like a shelter or something i know it's like ding dong harder (laughs) sanitizer edition I love sanitizer. Now, why did we have to confiscate it? Because my hands were falling off. Yeah, because they were very dry. Dry. I created created systemic rosacea (laughs) on my hands or whatever it's called. Psoriasis? Yeah. Or eczema? Both. Psoriasma. Exactly. (laughs) Now, she sent us this this fucking... Well, she sent you, but I... Talk about confiscating. I was like, I'll take those. Now, this company is called... I think it's called Weleda. Weleda, mm-hmm. W-E-L-E-D-A. I think this is an Australian company. Does that sound familiar to you? It does sound familiar. Which makes it even more important. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How are <laughs> you? I got uh, Weleda <laughs> lotion for my hands, guys. Because I was rubbing them off to the bone. It's called Ultra Rich Cream. You know what else is ultra rich? Devin Verana. Because I'm pretty sure this is cream for like one's face. <laughs> and she sent it to us as she sent two to use as hand cream. And I have never felt more luxurious <laughs> than when using expensive face cream as fucking hand cream. Oh, it's like, from Switzerland. Oof. Oh, Switzerland. Also, wonderful. Well, good. Wonderful. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to same. Bonn, Switzerland. <laughs> is that where it's from? Sweden. No. Well, Switzerland is um, welcome to all Geneva. Oh, 
Well, this says the headquarters are Arsheim, Switzerland. Switzerland. <laughs> Arsheim? Arsheim? Arsheim. Sounds like Germany. Same well, diff. Switzerland same diff. is very close to Germany. Said with love to our to our dude Thierry. Yeah. Thierry. Thierry. I we love some 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 Thierry. Thierry. <laughs> yes, Terry. Yeah. Devin. I I mean I had to message Devin because it is this has really gotten my fucking life. This cream. Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. it has literally changed my 2021. It's amazing. It's it, so it, thick. Within a minute, it changed it. I'm like I felt everything. We like started you know studying Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Nam yo renge kyo. Nam It's just it's just been everything, Devin. I really And then after we said the whole story on the Patreon and Devin knows how hard it's gonna be for the Meow Meow not to bug on and drive around and bug and go get creamer in the middle of the night and just needing nope i need i need i need creamer for tomorrow or whatever she got you and she didn't specify but i know it's for you a a gift card to uber to get your ass around when i'm not no longer your stay-at-home caregiver (laughs) which is so fucking nice it's so sweet it's so sweet it's really so sweet i know that um for sure she she wanted you not to feel like you're you know, prisoner in your own home right. with an abusive stay-at-home <laughs> caregiver. <laughs> so you have one more week of that. So thank you so much, Devin. That's so, mm-hmm. so, so sweet. So, so sweet. This is already too long, but just a bit of housekeeping. Housekeeping! <laughs> High housekeeping, mm-hmm. as it were. Paging Melinda Colton. Nope. Paging Melinda Colton. Can you come to the principal's office? <laughs> paging, paging principal Tammy. Oh no, what is it? Paging Mr. Oh. Tammy. Mr. Tammy. <laughs> paging Mr. Tammy. And paging Melinda Colton. Can you come to Mr. Tammy's office? Melinda got a shirt from our website, julianbrandy.com. We have four shirt designs. Mm-hmm. One that says, I don't need your notes, babe. One that's our podcast concert tee. Mm-hmm. One that says, no one knows I'm gay. And one that says drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, right now, you're wearing No One Knows I'm Gay. Right. I can't remember. You might have worn drugs into your surgery without us even thinking twice about it. I think I wore our actual podcast shirt. The concert tee. Yeah, the one that's the, the that says us and nope. <sighs> Thank God, because I was just now thinking, did they put an APB out to all the pharmacies? Like, well, this, this man came did. in in a drug shirt. <laughs> we're not giving him any opioids. And we're making him take a drug test before we do surgery. Oh, yeah. well, then... But the drug test was negative. Mm-hmm. So that should have cleared us for all the opioids we want. <laughs> it didn't. Now, Melinda, you did not include your address. And we've reached out. We've messaged. We've called. We've done everything we can to try to get Melinda's address. And if it keeps going, we're just going to have to give Melinda a refund. Yeah. And we hate. I mean, we want your money. Melinda. Yeah, and we don't want to deal with the hassle. <laughs> no, we don't want to have to not have Melinda's money, and we want Melinda to have her shirt. That's correct. So please, please message us with your address, and anyone else who's interested, hit up the website, julianbrandy.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last but not least, Catherine Mazzucchelli sent us a huge box of treats, a bunch of cat toys for Dumpling. Of which he loves. He's obsessed. We, ha- we had a full ceremony, right, Mama? Opening them oh on your bed. God. Dumpling was in there surrounded by pillows. This is pre-surgery. Yeah. 
like like the queen he is <laughs> like the nosy nance pelos that he is yes he's a queen he's a queen and i was like i came over you weren't here i'm like did you put these pillows all around him and you're like he just <laughs> likes doing that i'm like did she build like a pillow fort for this guy and so i wait for you i'm like hurry up and come so that we can op- open this this package is from chewy we opened it with dumpling on the bed and all the individual little presents it was a little avocado mm. toy oh my god he loved he flipped that around <laughs> he batted it around he tried to murder that thing we don't yeah. know what he thinks it is we i don't know but he thinks it's something that he needs to 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 bat 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 and then get in his hind legs and kill 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 he wants to violently murder a tiny cute avocado yeah Mm-hmm. Then she got those sticks that it's like a long stick. It has a string on it. Mm-hmm. And at, at the end of one is a bird. And at the one of the other one is a snake. And I don't know if Kath Maz knew, but <laughs> Dumpling loves that. Those those he are his likes, favorite toys. He loves it. And then a bunch of like a cat, a tub full of catnip, mm-hmm. cat scratch wall. Cat scratch wall. Yeah, he loves it. Of course, like us, you know, he loves he the loves precious. His jugas. Yeah, he <laughs> loves his jugas. He does. So. And that he'll, catnip, man, he will fucking claw your eyes out for that shit. And he rolls all around <laughs> in it with his body. And then he's like, mm, my body feels so good. Then there was kind of it, 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 it evolved from the dumpling gifts. We got an extra large pink eraser that says big mistakes, <laughs> which I like for mm-hmm. big mistakes. Mm-hmm. So cute. A 12 pack of dentine ice gum, which is our favorite, right. favorite favorite gum we mm-hmm. love dentine ice gum yep two huge candles yep and then best of all something we love more than anything else on earth <laughs> a container full of adult treats right adult treats with the container of when you should have those treats yeah as, as adults do as adults do right some people may think it's porn just it's up to your own but hey if you need to be told when to watch porn on monday tuesday (laughs) wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday whether it's once a day twice a day or three times a day five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred traits that's how you tell that's how you tell adults from (laughs) non-adults And now it's time for Brandy and I to write our tiny bicicletas to skew. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. for Brandy and I to ride our tiny bicicleta to skew. This is our segment called Time for Skew, where a live person teaches us something. And today we're going to learn everything we can in 30 minutes about justice mapping as it relates to justice reform. And we are going to learn a lot because our COVID professor for the day is the executive director and founder of the Justice Mapping Center, 
Eric Cadora. His title says it all, but we really couldn't ask for a better person to teach us about justice mapping than Eric Cadora. He's an absolutely brilliant guy who has spent over 30 years working for criminal justice reform, and his resume is so goddamn prolific, we don't even have enough time in one podcast to do it <laughs> justice. Got it. Got it. Yeah. See what you did there. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that we don't even understand half the shit on it, but (laughs) we want to learn. So before he can find out that we are dumb gay assholes with only 14 listeners, let's get to justice mapping skew with Eric Kadora. Hi, Hi, Eric. Well, hi guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. We like, we're like kind of obsessed with you. I don't know what. what Congratulations! Is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we're like shocked. We're still shocked. You agreed to it. Like, uh oh! Don't let him find out the truth for real. So. Oh no! You guys are pantheons. You know, you guys, you guys are up there. Everyone knows about you. Oh, my God. oh, I love it. Tell me more. Okay, so full disclosure, we've seen you on quite a few shows over the last year, and you're not just a genius in justice reform. You're also giving some Steve Kornacki statistician vibes. <laughs> So you're going to really, really need to dumb it, dumb it way down when you're being our teacher. Um, Let's just start and you just tell us and our 14 listeners what the fuck justice mapping is. Well, anything else I do, you know, I love multiple meanings when I, you know, put together rhetorical little pieces. So justice mapping is a company. It's a nonprofit. It's also an activity, it's, <laughs> yeah. a, right. Right? it's a movement idea, yep. um, and it, it's also about um, you know, literally mapping, visualization of data and information, et cetera. So justice mapping has been something um, that I sort of started doing, thinking about way back uh, in 1998. Uh, when I was working at this place in New York called the Center for Alternative Sentencing and um, and Employment Services, which was the sort of biggest organization in the country that worked to intervene in courts uh, on behalf of defendants to get alternatives to sort of iron bars and concrete walls as, you know, as some kind of consequence for for criminal charges, and you know, our we would we we would go in there and say, look, we have a better way to deal with um, this guy than either probation or jail, right? We can work with him on this count. We'll write to you, et cetera. So, justice mapping was born working at that place mm-hmm. where after about ten years there, um, I was I was lucky enough to have a boss who was, you know, totally open. He said, look, go away, which is, you know, at first I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> go, away and, go away and think about what's next because mm-hmm. we're doing great, but we've reached a certain kind of ceiling in what we're doing. And the question is, how do we break out? Because the problem that we're all looking at, uh, oh, hugely uh, overuse, the huge overuse of, of jails and prisons as consequences for all sorts of different kinds of behavior, including times where the crime is really sort of in some ways incidental to the real issue, right? Mm. And so our approach at that organization, which was you know, a leader in the country, had sort of on some re- reached a ceiling. And he said, go out and think about 
How do we go to the next thing? And um, that's where like this, I, this sort of multiple meanings um, and like where I started to realize that kind of data is like language. Um, it's it can be it can be rhetorical, you know, it can have a uh, multiple meanings like we often think about data as this objective thing. It's just numbers and they're hard facts. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. Data is always layered with values and, and assumptions and uh, exclusions. You know, what's not being shown is as important as what's being shown. Uh. Right. Because it's just. And it implies that here's the universe of reality, when in fact it's very selective, of course. And I, so I went away, right? So I started yeah. to think about that and I went away. And at the time, this is a long time ago, justice, the justice conversation was about being soft or getting tough. Like that's what dominated conversation. The idea that we could reform sentencing laws to, you know, make things more equal or, or less ridiculously harsh. That wasn't even in the conversation, barely. This, you know, you, you just was, you were either being tagged. And so anything you came up with was, oh, he's part of the being soft or that, that political entrepreneur is about getting tough, you know. But I wanted to say, so how do you get out of that? Because that's the limit we were reaching, this pigeonholing thing. And... I just started reading around and, you know, I started with stuff I was a little bit familiar with, like crime mapping, which was sort of big then, you know, down to the street level where are crimes happening, mapped over the course of a year, honed it as a police strategy and actually as police tactics for preventing crime, right? So if we know about, if we can map crime, we can get ahead of it kind of a thing. That, I, you know, that was interesting and, and I knew about it, but it wasn't help, you know, it wasn't doing us any good. It wasn't helping us think this out. But it started to occur to me because we were interested in incarceration, not crime per se. Right. Um, and we knew, though, just as researchers had determined, but was not in the popular imagination, that crime and incarceration don't have a lot to do with each other. Right. Which is a really weird thought. So but, uh, so as you're speaking, though, I'm thinking to myself, okay, first of all, a question I have is where and when did it start where this country particularly is obsessed with incarceration? Where it's so, it's the answer to everything. And uh, maybe it's in the way of, you said, hard and soft on crime. We watched a thing last night about Bill Clinton and three strikes, you're out. And, got right. you know, blah, blah, blah. So is where did it where did it begin? Because it seems very American. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is absolutely American. Um, you know, the best way to see it is that the rate of incarceration in the United States was if you look at it as a timeline over time, it was flat for 100 years, essentially, up through and until the 1970s. And in the sort of territory now, <laughs> yeah. Now you and Joe. Joe was not always on the right side right, of this thing. Right. Joe is really good at reading the winds, yeah. you know, and taking them. Right. Um, I'm just glad that today the winds yeah. of history yep. are going to push him beyond his limits, in yes. my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, but back then, it wasn't until kind of like a and there's different arguments for why this happened. But it wasn't until the kind of 
post-civil rights or, you know, just at the civil rights era around the sort of Nixon era of, um, you know, is it protests or is it crime? You know, right. Right. And that started to turn. And some people have called them political entrepreneurs because increasingly elected officials started to use punishment as a bludgeon for other politicians that they were competing with and trying to piggyback on that kind of um, Nixonian idea that what you see as a protest, I see as lawless riots, and therefore it's crime, it's not democracy. Mm -hmm. And therefore I'm gonna use criminal justice to deal with the issues that are coming behind this, which are really, of course, a whole range of social, economic health issues but in fact are being turned. And that's really when it started. And it just accelerated like crazy in the 80s, partly because like, you know, politicians can do things that seem to give them credit now for which the costs don't yeah. show up for a long time. Right. And right. It Take the war on drugs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The war on you know? drugs, like eight, like the seventies, from yeah. protests, people are yeah. wanting their rights. Now we're into drugs. Oh, we can get them on the drugs. That should be a like right. obsessed. Now we're obsessed with drugs, and it's like, I mean, we're, <laughs> but like, I mean, we are personally, but you know, like the Reagan eighties, <laughs> just say no type of. Oh my that's god, that's why we're yeah. like this, probably. Yeah, I mean, and the fact <laughs> that you know, from what our understanding is, that so many, a majority of the people who are in prison are in there do to drugs in one way or another, which- Oh, absolutely. Is that a crime? And then you're, it's like you're saying, what's the, what is the crime exactly? So- Right. And are you still, do you still work with the alternative sentencing, that organization? Are they still around? Oh yeah, they're still operating big time in New York City, definitely. And there have okay. been numerous other ones that have, you know, broken out over the last 20 years uh, around the country. I mean, I would hope so, seems, like a great idea yeah, that that we've had never heard of. Oh yeah, these have been in operation since the late '60s, early '70s. Um, but really, they were, you know, very restricted to places like New York City, where oh, I see. You know, we had like think tanks that tried <laughs> to think about urban policy, and that was born at the Vera Institute of Justice in New York City, a big kind of think tank organization that has generated a really substantial infrastructure in New York City of alternatives and diversions and reform projects. So it's like an embarrassment of riches in New York, um, but not the rest of the country. Yeah. It was not like that. Absolutely not. Why isn't that part of our vernacular as far right. as... Especially in New York. Oh my God. And everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. It's just like, I don't know that much about the law because whatever, but I know that in, there's a judge and the thing and the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. well, oh, everything and then you do the... know, you know from Law and Order. Exactly. And then <laughs> right. and, and the good fight. <laughs> and then it's also like, oh yeah. And then the alternate, when he's about to sentence, we're going to have that alternate we're gonna have that discussion where it's the right. it's the alternate, but we don't have it. Your question is when did prisons become a thing? Yeah. So justice mapping, you would say you invented it essentially, right? We're gonna uh, say that. I coined it. Let's okay. put it that way. <laughs> and it, and yeah. that you're gonna that was around ninety eight, or did it take you a couple of years? Like no, it wasn't until I um I, I went from that big organization once I so I came up with this idea of mapping incarceration not crime. Right. Great. I said, well, what, let's map where people live who go to jail and prison every year, because first off, everyone knows 
like we all knew anecdotally what that map would look like, yeah. but yeah. no one had actually done it. No one had actually, in this age of data, no one had counted it and said, look, here are the numbers. And also, I, you know, I knew that maps, everybody gets maps. Maps are so easy to understand. So like, what a great rhetorical way. And thirdly, by using maps about where people live who go to jail and prison, you also completely change the focus of the question. It's no longer getting tough or being soft. It's, it's the community, the neighborhood, the geography that tells you, wait a minute, this is the focus. And started using all kinds of, co-opted all kinds of like business language. So, you know, what's the, you know, what's the return on our public safety investment? Yeah, because you did this, this, yeah, you did the thing with this million dollar, or like this is costing oh, yeah. so much money. Yeah, the whole thing blew up with million dollar blocks because that really dramatizes the trade-off. And everyone loves like, money. Right, talking about money. Everybody right. loves money. Losing money. Right. Yeah. Making money. Right. Like Jonathan Capehart asked me just on, on that, he was like, well, when I saw million dollar blocks, of course I expected, you know, mansions and blah, blah, blah. But no, it's, it's how much the state is spending to remove and return people in concentration from particular neighborhoods at ridiculous rates mm -hmm. for incredible amounts of money, none of which is spent there, right? It's like renting a prison cell versus, you know, investing in a community mortgage where you get equity over time. And I would start asking those questions. Where's the public safety equity that we're buying? Because this isn't investment. This is just spending. Right. Why don't we invest this money rather than spend it? And there were so many great people around the country that were doing. There was a guy who I loved, this guy, Dennis Maloney, out in Oregon. And he did this. He was a... He was both a um, he was commissioner of juvenile justice in Deschutes County, Oregon, where Bend is. And he was also on the school board. And, you know, he couldn't and he he learned from the state that they were predicting they were planning on how to build juvenile prisons at the state level based on simple demographics. How many black kids, how many Latin kids, how many white kids, how many, you know, and then multiplying out from blah, blah, blah. They're planning and investing in that, while at the same time he'd go to the school board meetings and they'd be figuring out, we can't get enough money to fix the hole in the roof. Oh my God. And he was like, this is nuts. And it was a Republican kind of conservative area. So he said, okay, look, here's how much Oregon is spending to incarcerate kids from our county every year, all right? Let's make a deal, all right, with the state, the county and the state, let's make a deal. We'll keep the kids, okay? We'll deal. <laughs> Don't worry about it, right? But you got to give us the money back that you were spending on incarcerating them. And we'll invest it in much smarter ideas, which they did. You know, they didn't just make the probation department a neighborhood operation. They went outside of the criminal justice system and said, well, what are the most successful kinds of programs that we've learned about. They got the RAND Corporation in and got okay. And they said, okay, um, you know, pre-K education, huge impact. Let's invest some of our prison dollars in that. Or <laughs> prison home dollars. nursing. That's what it was. They were prison <laughs> dollars. The state, what they did is they lobbied a state senator. He produced a bill that said, okay, from now on, Deschutes County will get a grant every year from the state in the amount it was spending to imprison people from, wow. kids from that state. And the only proviso to that is they can't send us any more kids to incarcerate or we'll charge them back, right? 
So okay. it was ingenious. It was genius because it reversed the financial incentives. Because if you're a local, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're a local and you have this decision, do I want to spend a million dollars on locking a bunch of kids up for some period of time and having them return and never see that money again? Or do I want to keep that million dollars, figure out how to deal with the kids and figure out how to invest that dollar, those dollars in those places? That yeah, makes sense. It almost it was is just, like it's like with Republicans. I mean, and I hate to generalize, <laughs> but you need to speak to them in a way of how I their mean, language in their language, money. which is how they're they're going to make money. It's almost like you have to pretend or not to say, here's how you guys can exploit these people in a different way. <laughs> so rather than put them in prison and ruin their lives, which clearly you're making money on. I mean, there's no way that somebody isn't making money on these people who are incarcerated. Then I guess we'll find a different way for you to exploit them. Meanwhile, we, let's say Democrats are people working for, you know, the justice mapping or incarceration equality. Um, you, you take that money and you put it into services and try to get people to not get incarcerated. And right. To not, and also that what you said brought up the question of, what is the pl practical application yeah. of, of, of first justice mapping? Like, so they used it that way. Is that the way you intended it? Or is it kind of like yeah. esoteric? Well, my, you know, my tendency, unfortunately, is rhetorical usually. And my first intention was change the conversation on crime. Which right? you did. Stop, right? Stop this pigeonholing. And let's do it in a way that's, you know, that you can't, you sort of can't take sides on it first, right? You just have to accept a framework. And this is a, and that really, really helped. I mean, it just helped to say, look, let's, because everyone can look at it. As you say, it, it was, you know, is it wasteful spending? You know, are there, let locals decide how to pay? You know, all this kind of cross-partisan kind of language that anyone could buy into. And in fact, that continued um, when I left that organization and went to the Open Society Institute Foundation. Do you, you know those? This that's is why we didn't God. do your resume because it's like <laughs> smart well, shit. Well, Open Society is the is the foundation that George, the famous, uh, you know George Soros, who is the oh. boogeyman of the of really really unfair kind of right wing approaches to this. Mm -hmm. But George Soros established foundation to um, he established fifty foundations across the world Ugh. focused on what he thought in each country was the biggest threat to civil and human rights. Oh. And in the US, he thought criminal justice. That's the biggest threat. Wow. And he saw this a long time ago. Wow. Today it's number one now, right? I mean, so he and and so I went over there to work, which was really, really fun because <laughs> let me tell you, I got to spend a couple million dollars yeah. There's every so much year money there, right? on on my heroes yeah. in criminal justice reform it was wow, awesome so cool. that's so cool um but but it was there that i tr i tried to just continue this rhetorical thing where we went from million dollar blocks and we started a project at the open society institute called justice reinvestment and what that said is let's take this on the road and we gathered some really great people um and so they were cross-partisan. They had to be. Mm. And the idea was go to places and say, look, we'll help you. Because places were starting to figure this thing out. This is now by the 19, uh, late 90s, early 2000, right? Um, crime rates were plummeting. 
I mean, I, you don't know this story, but crime rates around the country plummeted over the last, from the, you know, late, late, late 90s, late 90s to the early 2000s. I mean, they reached rates, the lowest rates ever down to where they were in the, in the early 60s. Wow. Right? Why? And so, uh, well, first, the first answer, there's million, you know, a lot of contention about <laughs> what that is. But the first answer is because the economy was radically okay. improved. Uh -oh. There was a lot yeah. more money flowing everywhere in the 1990s, yeah. you know, under the Clinton administration, under that sort of. So all of a sudden, you know, the real causes of, of crime, as opposed to incarceration, um, were, were being dampened, mm. right? Because everybody has money. It's, everybody right. loves money. Right. That's all everybody <laughs> wants is fucking money. That's right. it. <laughs> but but the states that were, you know, the states were starting to ask, well, wait a minute. Why, if crime is plummeting, am I not seeing a dividend of savings in my prison popular in my prison costs? Why are they continuing to rise, for goodness sake? And that's because, again, incarceration isn't about crime. It's about incarceration policy. It's about what we decide we want to do about things and how we, you know, and so how many people we put in for how long, for what, for and what's a crime? You know, and right. how, and what's yeah. like all that? What's That's, a crime? Yeah. It's all those questions. It's, and when you turn all those levers on, everybody's going in. Crime rates aren't really having a terribly large impact huh. on. Right. And well, so especially they when everyone has money, rates. everyone's getting drugs. Everyone's doing right. even little things like trying cheating on their taxes, whatever right. th things people do whatever to maintain their money or have fun. Those are all, unfortunately, crimes, crimes. usually. Right. <laughs> but, but by 2001, we now had a recession in the United States that was in part triggered by 9-11. And, you know, everybody was starting to suffer again, including states and state budgets. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to say, well, how do we do, how can we realize some return on this? And so we would go into states and say, here, we're going to show you five ways to stop growing your prison population that has that'll have no effect on crime whatsoever because unrelated right and you as long as you'll vouchsafe the money you save for reinvestment in those local places right so we tried to turn that whole idea that um my colleague had uh, earlier on in, in oregon into an actual operating budgeting kind of operation and we did it in like 27 states. Like oh we got it. I mean, everybody would, cause, and we started in Republic. I mean, we went to Connecticut first. Okay, put that aside. <laughs> but, you know, you got to test something once in a while. You know, friendly. <laughs> but then we were in, you know, we went to Kansas, mm. Texas, wow. Louisiana. I mean, mm. places where, you know, it's not like there's, they're a, they're a soft on crime approach. No. Yeah, I'm but they all Texas. But, I really am. I'm surprised. Well, but they, they knew. They knew money is a, you know, this is crazy. Why are we spending this? This is outrageous. We need this money because it's tough time. So we'd say, and, that, and so, and then that got turned into a federal program. It now is funding all kinds of people. In, fund, in fact, I came up with the name Justice uh, Reinvestment um, because uh, I had been in my, in my go away and read for a while and figure out what to do, Eric. I read about the Community Reinvestment Act. Which I sort of heard about, but I didn't really know what it was. And it turns out it was um, an act, a federal act that said, okay, uh, 
commercial banks are insured in case they get robbed or whatever, the FDIC, federal something insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, one and they and they don't. And so one of the this act said you can't have federal FDIC. You will we will not insure you if, among other things, you're not investing equally and fairly mm. in redlined communities that weren't getting invested in. No small business loans, no home mortgage loans, etc. So they came up with the Community Reinvestment Act. And I thought, wow, let's steal that <laughs> and call it, let's call it the Justice Reinvestment Act, right? Mm. From now on, save money and reinvest it, etc. It became a federal program. And just it's so hilarious because I coined it in like 2002. And I worked at the New York City Mayor's Office of Criminal Justice back in 2015. And my sort of deputy research assistant was funded by a federal <laughs> grant under the Justice Reinvestment <laughs> Act. I was like, okay, this That's is great. pretty funny. I mean, you know, that is funny. It's fun. well, at least you know that it was working. Effective. Yeah, I'm sure it's been. Yeah, yeah. she was back great. Now. Yeah, exactly. it. Right. right. Although I got to tell you, it didn't really always work because while we loosened up the money on the state level. It didn't always get invested quite oh, right, right. usefully on the it started to get, you know, moved off into, right. you know, probation and other criminal justice activities. Anything and, that has to do with money. I mean, I would think that's I mean, I was so thinking hard. that about about Oregon. I was thinking if that was to be done here, you know, in California anyways, in, in L.A., we would be concerned that, yeah, the L.A. USD isn't going to. They're corrupt. Um, the school district isn't going to necessarily do what, whatever. It, right, because even if once you get through the barrier of, let's say, pushing <laughs> through or getting approval of the Reinvestment Act, now you're dealing with, well, what if it's Devin Nunez who's sitting on the committee? <laughs> right. What if it's, you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, right. Now, tell. I want to know along the lines of what you said about what's a crime, blah, 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 blah. So we had the whole justice reform fucking umbrella. It's huge. It's a hot messy casserole <laughs> there's a thousand ingredients in it i mean who do you think we like to have a clear enemy obviously there isn't one and of course for us it's just seeing a cop car we get a gross feeling inside and we're like get off the streets right now but like who, the who, who's the stinkiest ingredient in the hot messy casserole like who do you think are, are we all right equal now. the citizens doing stupid shit the cops the judges, the elected officials, is there the any, law? Yeah, is there any one thing that we could just right. get rid of or change immediately that would really help? Well, no. That's what I thought. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, I guess not. I mean, that's of course that's someone who's trying. You know, some people will say yes, and you know, some of those people will say defund the police departments, stop funding police, and we'll figure it out from there. Um, you know, there there are some, you know, solutions that are like that or, you know, revised sentencing laws, you know, everywhere. Because the thing is, criminal justice tends to be a state oriented mm. thing when it comes to laws. Yeah. Um, but when it when it really comes down to it, I can I can tell you the what makes a difference is there's so much discretion uh, at the local level about how you carry out criminal justice, that's where it all happens, you know? And I'll tell you that New York City, for example, um, over the course of about 20 years, 15, 20 years, radically cut incarceration rates, 
radically in both um, Rikers Island, which is the city's jail system, as well as the state's prisons. It cut the state's prisons alone by 33 percent, a third of the prisons, and it cut the local jail in half over that course of that time. All had nothing to do with statutory law changes at the state level, even though those are absolutely necessary, but had nothing to do with anything like that. It was all about decisions being made by um, politicians, judges, prosecutors, police, and community advocates. It was just amazing. A prosecutor could, it seems like in in this party, in this group, the prosecutor could potentially maybe because they're the ones who ask for the sentence, don't they? When they're and, and if they bring somebody, if somebody gets arrested for something stupid and then they're obviously, let's say they're discriminated against as a person of color or it's some a poor person, whatever. They're brought into a courtroom. The prosecutor's like, they we're going to ask for the the state wants the biggest, the mm-hmm. most because clearly they right. have no money and they're black. So we're going right. to go ahead and try and put them in prison. And then. Right. So is it, because I've seen, we've, we've, we keep yeah, trying to, crap. It, it is that <laughs> crap. And we have tried to get on like the prosecutors for ethical sentencing right. on who are. Well, that's a, yeah. Well, that's a big movement in the justice reform world right now is prosecutors electing <laughs> progressive, uh, you know, um, more thoughtful prosecutors uh, to under to, you know, to, live up to what we know today and what people really want, which is a much more, much less necessarily adversarial mm-hmm. approach to justice, which is a weird thing because due process, the rights we have that give us a lawyer to defend ourselves are the same rights that create an entirely adversarial process in court. <laughs> right. It's remarkable, right. but it's it's what we, it's important. But it also doesn't always get at the truth, right? It all it doesn't all it's not necessarily always the most effective way. Mm-hmm. As you know, you might learn, you might I mean we know this, but you might be surprised to know that more than 90% of all cases are um, are dealt with by way of plea bargaining. They never see a trial. Mm. If 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 And that's not fucking every, fair. I mean, well, cuz you're of course you're going to be like, "Oh, yeah, if you I guess say I'll if you the, say you're guilty, yeah. you won't get five years. You'll get one sucks. year. Blah blah blah. And it's like, well, who's... well, that's that's yeah. all about. That's all what what um, plea bargains are about. Yeah. There are negotiation between defense and prosecution that says, look, you know, do you really want to go to court on this? Or listen, if you don't do, you know, so it's all kinds of. You can imagine all the power leverages back and forth and mm-hmm. so on. If everybody refused to plea bargain. <laughs> I mean, really, just think about it. If everybody refused to plea bargain, the entire criminal justice system would come to a crashing demise. Oh, it would collapse entirely. (laughs) I'm telling you, nothing would happen. The place would fall apart. It would be a disaster. Because 90% are de- are wow. dealt with this way. Wow. And so, there's still a back, back up and backlog, and right? Because it's just so jammed up right. anyways. But it even starts before the prosecutor. Ugh. I mean, the police have huge discretion, as you can, you know, right. we've seen its worst form of discretion. But it also has much more enlightened discretion and has been used in different 
in venues and, and occasions. You know, and that's I don't why people have say to arrest they want, this they, guy. Yeah, they, that's why people say they want police reform first because it's like make the decision in the moment not to be a douchebag. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Even have, just... And that's what you're seeing today. Like I've, you know, I've been doing this 30 years and the pace of change right now is like, for those of us who are doing this, like pent up happiness that, you know, everyone's getting it now, right? It's not, and it's not even just about police. It's not just about prosecutors. It's about bigger things than that. And most of this stuff is not about criminal justice. And to solve it, you're gonna have to do more than get criminal justice involved, right? That's the trick now. Right. So that well, that brings us to the last question. Then we really wanted to ask you, like, you've been doing this. You have your you have a lifelong career in this, and it's like, what was your, what did how did you feel personally last year, last summer with the marches and the movement? Like, are you? I know if it were me, and I've only been doing this podcast since 2017. <laughs> I'm beyond cynical with so much. Were you, did you feel like get the feeling of like, oh my God, could this finally fucking be happening? Or, or were you too cynical? Was there hope? Like, what did you feel? Were you stoked or no? Well, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I thought the reaction on the street was just utterly amazing and so gratifying um, because it was everybody. I mean, it was a lot of different people on the streets. And, you know, it's triggered massive accountability. Now, I'm also circumspect about it in that, you know, these things can be weighted out sometimes, right? You know, you can like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's do this. Okay, well, let's make this change. Let's, and it could ultimately fizzle out potentially, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it. I mean, First off, because it's just impossible to cover up anymore with the kind of citizen technology, yeah. you know, because, listen, none of these cases would have gone anywhere if it hadn't been for witnessing. Yeah. And that's yep. just amazing. And so the reaction has been, I think, really powerful and is changing so many minds about what law enforcement, crime. We still haven't changed our minds about, like, how do you punish for for breaching law without concrete bar, you know, concrete walls and bars? Because there's a million ways to do it. And it's yeah. been done in all kinds of ways, you know, harm reduction approaches, um, all kinds of uh, um, uh, nonprofit community service. Like, it's just remarkable. But we still have this, like, lock them up sensibility about punishment. Like, that's the only way you can punish. Yeah, so. that's one thing I'm going to take from this is is alternative sentencing, like really yeah. looking into that and not just, oh, go to re you, did you have pot? Go to rehab. <laughs> like, fuck right. off with that. Right. Like, right. In some ways, it's like going like countries that went they didn't have the the infrastructure to have telephone poles and lines and they skipped it and went straight to cell phones. Right. <laughs> so I, I really I think there's something happening like that now. Right. Because, yes, alternative sentencing, that's all important. And we have to keep having more of them options on the ground. But we're skipping that entirely like alternative. These things shouldn't even appear on the face of the criminal justice system at all. Yeah. Right. That's why the focus on policing isn't just, oh, they're the boogeyman, but also it's because that's the first point at which you get dragged into this whole system. <laughs> right. So if that, if we can stop it there, then you don't even have to talk about the prosecutor or the judge 
or right. our idea of punishment or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're going totally. into everyone needs a job. Everyone needs to <laughs> like live in a place. Everyone needs to have a, ha a place to live. I mean, it's just yeah. sort of, the, I know that's, yeah. that's so, that's so basic and whatever, but at the end of the day, these, you know, drug related crimes, assault, the robbery, whatever, even if you're, if it's down to giving a, a counterfeit $20 bill, who gives a fuck? But you know who gives a fuck? The person who felt so worthless that they found a counterfeit $20 bill. And maybe that's yeah. the thing that we all need to like be focusing on or whatever. But ultimately yeah. then you get the other sides like you're pie in the sky and progressive. And that's the one of the things that you were involved in that, that was a Washington Post op-ed, like a long, 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 very long, <laughs> very many sections. And it was so, that was what really, really, really like we became obsessed with you, but we, we, it, it was so informative and so, so interesting and yeah. just simply, you know, neighborhoods. And of course we know like somebody walks outside and sees trash and they feel like they, it's depressing and that nobody has any pride or whatever, but we don't pick up trash in our fucking neighborhood. The city <laughs> comes and cleans that up. So right. if there's a neighborhood right. with a bunch of trash in it, there's the city is, is ignoring that, not those people. Right. We're not out with the thing like, let's clean up the neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, we don't, no one does that. That's so, it's that right. I really encourage like. Right, our... that's why that, that, that's such a great, that's why I always thought that when um, Alexandra Ocasio was asked, oh, the, well, yes. wait a minute. Yeah, what's, what is a neighborhood like without police? And she said, suburbs right yeah <laughs> Which exactly was, it just captures so much it about it right it, it's it's like you said for a person especially who <laughs> likes to have a double triple quadruple meaning to something and to find the levels in it yeah that is yeah. that's like the ultimate like if you think right. about the, the the depth of the levels that's in that i think the ultimate is that i'm sure these maps that you have the physical actual maps that you've you have created are i'm sure in an museums and i'm like where can we get a map and like have it as art even though it's kind of like dark they, and depressing they art, do look cool though. but they're cool maps yeah. and they're and they mean uh -huh. a million things and yeah. they raise awareness yeah. and it's like look how Very disturbing cute. this yeah. is yet cool yeah well it's it's funny i i ended up uh doing work with an architect uh, laura kurgan over at the um at columbia university um and she ran something she liked to call the spatial information design lab woohoo felt like i was in nasa or something <laughs> But she had all these connections with architectural, you know, um, networks. And we started drawing maps together. And we turned the million dollar blocks maps and a bunch of other maps we had done around incarceration. And believe it or not, entered some contests that she had just, you know, architecture and contest. And we won it, architecture and justice. And believe it or not, our maps are at the MoMA now as a part of their permanent oh, collection. Yeah, I believe it. So it's part hilarious you say it. that because in fact they are. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's pretty funny. Now, what do you, I know we have to let you go, but where do you, where do we go from here? Where do you particularly go from here? And how would you advise us who not say aren't necessarily in the line of work, but we want to be ever just everyday helpful. people. Yeah. <laughs> we want to mm -hmm. do something, you know? Well, it's a hard answer, but it's something that I think is even wider than what's happening in criminal justice alone. And that's the idea that you don't have to be scared of professional technocracy. What I mean by that is like there's a democratization of knowledge that 
we need to take to, we need to undertake here. People know things, but they're scared to say things in a certain way. Like we feel like we're we're not allowed. Like who knows about the budget of New York State? Like we can't get involved in that. That's why we got our elected representatives, and they're all forget about it. The decisions about what to invest money in and where to get that money by way of taxes, that can be entirely democratized. You can get a lot of people involved in that, and you don't have to pretend to have to stay. That's what we're doing with criminal justice. We're trying to say, look, for one thing, you can't do criminal justice policy without community um, institutional stakeholders involved, whether it's community banks, uh, community-based organizations, tenant associations, whatever it is. It's not because it's like we should. It's because they know things that government just doesn't know. And until you get those guys around the table with Department of Housing, the police department, health and hospital, until those guys get together, you're not going to know what's going on and you're just going to be spending money and spinning wheels in ways that you're often working at, at odds with each other. And so there's just, you know, a, a need to not be afraid to do what we can do now. Like our, not to be wonky about this, but our uh -oh, way we're of- we're gonna get Steve Kornacki in it. Yeah, it's a little bit, our way of governing things, not elections, but like our everyday policies about what goes on um, is so antiquated and is so behind what we can do. It's so far behind social reality, it's shocking. Mm. But, and, and when, you know, the best thing is like, the, 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 the most telling thing is the way, you know, the housing department doesn't talk to the labor department, doesn't talk to the health department, doesn't talk to the courts, doesn't talk, you know, it's shocking. And they're all working in these siloed ways that don't have to be. And so we're all about now breaking down those silos and getting everyone around the table and say, look, let's put a picture of justice together that everyone contributes to. And we can see what a real what the real picture is here. And we can and we can coordinate, you know, intelligently what to do in this place. It's not that tough. It's really not that. But there's so many walls built up mm -hmm. yeah. that separate not only government from government, but government from communities. It's so true. That it's just yeah. about breaking those that little things so down because we have the smarts, the technology, everything we need um, to do it. And so we're seeing people want to do it, too. We're working. Um, you know, we're engaged with a bunch of different jurisdictions around the country now talking about like, let's get everyone together and, you know, let's just commit to planning and budgeting together. Yeah. But, I mean, imagine that. Right. Yeah. I mean, why can't the housing department share its budget with the health department and vice versa? Because they know that they affect one another all yeah. the time. And, and they the problems in, in California, they depend on they they yeah. they've now come to depend on like the bureaucratic red tape of it all. Like, and oh yeah, you're you're a hundred million thousand percent. It right. just made me think of like Camelot. Like that's what Camelot <laughs> is. You know what you I mean? Round table. Those right. are the people in the round. Those are the knights of the round table. When you're that's written, right. that's you got it. That's that's 
from long magic to, long to history dork and i'm like officially like oh god you guys there you go. <laughs> it's not even real history <laughs> whatever it's, it's fantasy well i don't, it's I don't you know i don't get all teary-eyed at at um romantic drama i get teary-eyed at world historical moments <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> believe me me too well tell everyone where they can find you where they can where or where you would want them to go to look at justice mapping or if you're your own yeah, personal you, social our four, media our 14 listeners want to know the guy that did the skype without his shirt on <laughs> <laughs> nice well uh so i mean our i have a, a sort of small website the which is um justicemapping.org one word you know um i'm working now with with the aspen institute and they have this criminal justice reform initiative that is awesome um and we're running something called the justice and governance program Ooh, uh, partnership which is really about getting people around the table to make decisions and invest money together around justice. It's as simple as that, but, you know, and we're finding lots of interesting jurisdictions that are like, yeah, let's do it. Um, cool. so look up the Aspen Institute's Justice and Governance Program. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I also just have to say before we go, we, that I've sp I spent about, and am still doing it, 10 years um, doing work overseas because I got... I got uh, recruited by this intrepid little group of just international justice reformers. Awesome people, just fascinating guys. And we've been doing giant justice reform projects in Malaysia, mm. Bangladesh, mm. Somalia. We're now going towards Ethiopia. Wow. I mean, and it's shocking how similar the issues are all, all over there. But but it's it's so the justice and governance, um, the governance and justice group is another place to, to look. They're doing some terrific work around the world. Well, we want to see you more on TV. We want to see you with Jojo and Kiki. I don't know why Kamala Harris hasn't <laughs> called you to deal with the help with the Northern Triangle. Yeah, no shit. I mean, you you're. <laughs> You're just like, I mean, you're a fountain, just a resource, an endless, yeah. bottomless resource. So, we, you know, we're, we're so thankful that you did this. And we hope we just you need to be all over the news for these, you know, basic bitches like us that watch the news all day. Well, I am hugely <laughs> thankful to you guys because there are very few places that allow me to go on like that for 30 minutes or more. Um, well, you know, it's usually 45 <laughs> seconds. Oh, my. It's not enough time for no. justice. So, <laughs> well, we hope that you'll come back and if whenever you have anything new, anything you want to promote, anything you need everyone to know, four, let's be four, in touch. 14 people. You can tell 14, 14 people. people. You can tell 14 people. Well, that's a that's a that's a cool 14 people. I'm there. Thank you so Thank much. You. I'm Thank happy you to so touch. much. Nice okay, cool. You. Nice right. meeting you. Later. Take it easy. You too. Bye. Now it's time for So There's That. Alright, so this is the part of the show where Julie has to find a So There's That moment that's happening because of or in spite of the diarrhea toilet Republicans and the ignorant Facebook Fox News army that follows them. She hates doing it because it's fucking impossible to find an uplifting story to end the show on, especially when half the country are mind-controlled members of a morally bankrupt right-wing cult 
And the other half are whiny, entitled virtue signalers who are too busy fighting Bernie battles with their own side to win the war. But the beat goes on. The beat goes motherfucking on. Why? Because Meow Meow got knee surgery and the beat is still going on. Okay. And this is still America's number one job we don't get paid for. So we need Meow Meow to tell us why we should give a fuck with her. So there's that. You know, really, um, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to all the same. You shouldn't what? Be doing a so there's that right now? <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a goddamn hug or just that one on one loving feeling. Like I said last week, the reason to even have pets is non consensual affection, period. Or at least you want that special feeling that you're not alone, someone cares about you and won't let you die alone in a ditch. Now, as I've been laying around and pounding down the meds, I have been beyond sensitive and hyper melodramatic. I've been deep in my imagination and unrealistic dreams for my future. Like, with my new knee, I will be able to fly my submarine through flying pigs and at the end of the rainbow, all of the rape victims throughout history eat their rapists and thus disappearing all the rapists throughout history and forever changing the trajectory of women's lives from the beginning of time. Ironically, except for my own. But then they have to eat something they don't like. Oh! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Is that your partner? Good point. Is that your partner, <laughs> sir? Good point. You know what? That is a very good point. I was thinking of like like how Zeus and shit was made. You know what I mean? No, you know of course I, I don't. I literally have no idea what you mean. I was thinking like Clarice. Oh, right. Like right. he was going to be like fucking. I don't even. I've never even seen that. But what? It's like fava beans and Chianti <laughs> yeah. and fucking. <laughs> the, you know what? You're right. It is very abstract, but also not abstract. This I mean, is, I'd still be up the, for it. These, this is, the, this, this is yeah. why I'm insane right now. <laughs> So this is why you can't listen to anything I'm saying. Now, basically, like in Greek mythology, mm -hmm. Zeus and all them. Ate the, people well, that were their enemies? Well, the, their dad like ate all of them because he wanted to like get, he wanted all the power, but then they like freed themselves and whatever. So it's <laughs> sort of like, kind of like that, except this was just all the, but this would be like the rapist or whatever. But you're right. <laughs> nobody wants to eat them. But. You get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. All right. So, and I would do it if that were the option there. He goes free or you eat him. It's like, all right, well, right. barbecue him up. Or Let's do this. I could say like this. I can eat anything with like A1 on it and ranch. And or what if you got money? And money. Yeah. Or <laughs> it's like revenge, like the movie, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, where she literally cooks the fucking the guy. Anyone can eat anything like ranch can get it down. Yes, you're right. It ranch, disguises horseradish. Yeah. Oh, that's great, too. Because if you really think about oysters, it's like disgusting. What the fuck are we eating? Disgusting. With that? And all we care about is the horseradish. Exactly. The cocktail sauce. Exactly. Right. But if I was at the restaurant and I was like, what is this? Oh, <laughs> tonight you're having the rapist of those three ladies over there. Ew. Ew that'd be a good restaurant. The <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. 
I don't mean to hijack the story. Well, I just want to say that would be a good Black Mirror episode where like there's a restaurant yes. and then as you sit down, it's like women, but they're just like Ugh. just dark, dark sided women like damn. us. Dark side. Remember that dark side. Lady? <laughs> lady. He's dark side. <laughs> so they're dark sided like they're us. dark side. And we sit down in like yeah. all black and we're like very severe. And then we get to read the menu of which rapist we want to have oh, for our dinner. My God, that is so good. <laughs> that is so fucking good. I love that. But Black Mirror always ruins everything. So then it would have to be like, then they bring one out and it's like, you know, your twin brother or your dad or your son. <laughs> and it's like, great. Because they, they never let you get out of those episodes without being like horrified and suicidal ever. It's yeah, like, well, can't one the, of these be good? Can be be justice? Yeah, no ending and no ending. And that's why I only watched one. And I was like, come on. And that one had the most justice of all the very first episode of the very first season the rest of them just went way like upsetting right right and it's not i'm not we're not here for that we're here for justice okay we're here for the justice that's the restaurant i'm here for the justice yeah. with a side of justice <laughs> justice and with a just side ranch yeah, justice. <laughs> justice with a side of ranch okay okay so as i'm laying here hour after hour fucking sucking up the fucking energy in the room and taking the med it's the medication it's 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 insane they can tell yeah so <laughs> and they're into it uh, okay i'm laying here and i'm i'm having the, the the like i said the imagination the thoughts the whatever whatever but many of the thoughts are also i'm so in my feelings and i can't even help it so while you're in your feelings as you know don't listen to music no and don't like look at anything sad that's when you cry yeah. at commercials right. or like right you know someone hugs their grandma after the grandma just got Do, okay <laughs> which leads us to don't look at anything with an elder person no or you will yeah take all the painkillers yeah and try and kill yourself yeah so i come across i'm looking for this fucking stuff there's that and i come across the this headline and i just Basically, it's it's a it's short the little article, so I'm just gonna read it to you. And we've really we've made a meal out of it anyway. Okay, good. Student raises money for teacher living in his car. Sometimes these are, never mind. Now, I'll that's what, and after. that's what I said to you out loud. I said this could be fake, but there's a whole video with it, and the they the the student and the teacher are so goddamn cute that I want I need I need to believe this is true. Well, a lot. I mean, a lot of teachers did have to. They started living in their cars and even a lot of them were you know not it's not like it's the end of the world but they were driving lyft at night and uber and mm -hmm. and they just really yeah a lot a lot of people started living in their cars during the pandemic it's well jose Villaruel, lovingly nicknamed mr v has been a substitute teacher for decades in 2013 Villaruel started working as a substitute teacher for the fontana unified school district Steven Nava, a former student, remembers meeting Mr. V during his freshman year of high school in 2014. He was he was a pretty cool teacher and like, you know, he wasn't like those sorts of substitute teachers that would just take attendance and then, you know, just sit and have the whole class go crazy, said Nava. He was like really passionate about making sure everybody, you know, is actually getting something out of the whole lecture. Okay, well, that's nice. The greatest... Well, men not really, because when you get a sub, you're like, yo, guys, <laughs> stop trying to be a hero. We're, like, looking for the day off. So, after graduating high school, Nava started to notice Mr. V in his neighborhood. 
he said, I really honestly never got the impression that, you know, he was homeless or anything. And then until like now this year, I started seeing him more frequently. At first, Nava would see Mr. V at the fast food restaurant near his community college. Then Nava noticed Mr. V would be parked in his neighborhood every morning on his way to work. Little did Steven know Mr. V had been living out of his car for nearly eight years. Oh, my God. The income from the district is not reliable. You don't know how much money you're going to make each month, said Villaruel. I Except said, they just call you. It's, right. Yeah, it's like a temp job. But he just, but he was older at this point. I mean, for he's 77 now. So when he was 70, he needed to start living in his fucking car. Like, awful. So one awful. day, Stephen went up to his teacher and, or to the former teacher and asked Mr. V about his situation. Mr. V explained he didn't have the job, blah, 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 blah. And meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Prior to the pandemic, Via Ruel had used restaurants and local senior centers to provide all the things his car couldn't. But since the pandemic, he wasn't allowed to go in anywhere. Oh, my God. So where was he showering? Alone in his car and having to oh, man. figure it the fuck out. So it turned out Mr. Via Ruel's birthday was coming up. So he. How does he know that? I'm going to well, stop. Having... I'm going to stop poking holes in the story. <laughs> Carry on. Don't. Yeah. Don't poke <laughs> any holes because I can't take it. So he um, he found out his birthday and when he found that out while the GoFundMe's going on and then he had like a little press conference. At the press conference, he made one of those big, big checks, you know? Yeah. You know, the big, uh-huh. you know. And um, the, the kind that Snooki first learned how to yeah. write a check on. Yeah, the, yes. when Publishers Clearing House yes. comes to your right. house or your car. So basically, the end of the story is they usher Mr. V up to the to the microphone and they're like, happy birthday to you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I live in my car. And then Stephen Nava from behind is like, happy birthday, Mr. V. And he presented him with a twenty seven thousand dollar check. Oh, man, that's so sweet. I just couldn't take it. I just thought it was the sweetest thing I've ever fucking seen. And I thought, you know what? This is a. A story we all need right now so that's really nice i just thought it was so sweet that he did that that wasn't just something you do in a second you didn't give somebody five dollars you spent months and months and months trying to raise money and you know that kid is going to be in that guy's life and is going to make sure he's okay and now mr v has this former student looking out for him and now i say to myself we should all be so lucky we shall all be so lucky and in the press conference mr v said i'm not lucky i'm blessed i'm it's a different word altogether. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed. I've been blessed. So there's that. That's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Pandemic Politics. Thank you guys for listening to our dumb podcast. We love and appreciate all 14 of you so much, especially now. If you're new here and you like us, but you'd ra- I'm, you're definitely not still listening to this end part after this crazy episode, <laughs> but you'd rather not hear about politics, please consider checking out our Patreon podcast. Our mm-hmm. Patreon podcasts are completely different than this one. There's no politics, no ads, no structure, no rules, and best of all, no pressure to join the Patreon. That's right. They are not consistent, but they are one hour long and very cheap. It's only a dollar if you sign up for one hour long podcast a week and two dollars for two hour long podcast per week. 
And when you sign up, you will immediately get access to our whole back catalog, which is hundreds of hours of stupid, stress-free podcasts. Plus, you get the philanthropic satisfaction of knowing that with one single dollar, you are contributing to what has basically become our sole source of income in this pandemic. That's correct. But if being pressured to help us pay our bills out of the kindness of your heart isn't working, then go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and you can listen to a free one that we have posted there to see if you like it. The episode is called Windows Up Sing Time. All you have to do is just you have to scroll down all the locked podcast episodes until you get to last September, September 2020. And then there's one called Windows Up Sing Time. And all you have to do is just press play. You can do it from your laptop, your desktop, your fucking iPad, your phone. You just press play. You don't have to sign up or any of that bullshit. Right. And if you don't want to sign up for our Patreon because you're all about that free life right now, we get it. Believe us. We get it. But please, please at least leave us a review on iTunes. Leave a shitty one. We don't care. Yeah, go on there and say that Julie got knee surgery and we sounded like two crackheads. And then someone else will reply and go, they always do. (laughs) They needed surgery for that? We're almost at 2,000 reviews and we want to make it to 2021 reviews sometime in 2021. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. And knee surgery justice mappy. Maybe you could have gotten a justice map done on your knee. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up. By the way I look, don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Let me show you around and maybe play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Or if you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Night Or maybe a bite Night I could show you my favorite obsession I've been making a man With blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my tension I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania.
sweet transvestite. Crown transsexual Transylvania. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs>